Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're returning to our, our series, Children of the Living God. We've taken a, a little break during our Advent season. We're going to pick up in chapter 4 with verse 7. And as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask now that you would Teach us from your word. You preserve this for your people. It's been studied. It's been read down through the centuries. But before time, before it was ever written down, it was in your plan for us to read it, to study it, to hear you today. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are willing to respond to you. And we pray for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Be seated. Well, because I am retiring from the position of senior pastor here at the end of March, this is actually the last book of the Bible that I'm going to preach through. I've preached through books of the Bible for my whole ministry, and uh, I always, when I am choosing a book, I pray about it, consider it, uh, think about it, and ask God to show me what he wants me to preach. And I'm so happy that uh, he uh, led me and us to the book of 1 John. One reason that, that I was attracted to 1 John is that it presents, as we've been talking about, a number of tests so that people can 
can know where they stand before God. Whether they are in relationship with him or not. I don't want to leave St. Andrews with anyone being unclear about that. We can never guarantee that everyone will be saved, of course. I can't do that. None of us could do that. And yet, I don't want us to fool ourselves, to kid ourselves, or to try to fool others into thinking where we stand before God. So here is what we see in 1 John and specifically in the passage that we have before us today. And that is that if you don't love other Christians, you're not a Christian. You heard it right. If you don't love other Christians, you're just not a Christian. Now, that's not a harsh statement. It it may be a, a shocking statement, but it's not harsh. In fact, there is nothing I can do that is more loving toward you than to tell you the truth about where you stand before God. And the the scripture is abundantly clear. And it's it's the truth. It's not the, the truth because I'm saying it. It's the truth because God is so clear about it. And in this brief passage, he says it four times. Four times. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Let us love one another. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then the second time in verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The third time he says it in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then the fourth time in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, we have talked about uh, love for one another earlier in, in this book, prior to Advent. We will talk about it again because it keeps addressing that. But What I want to do today, and and that's going to be the application of this passage, and that is that we are to love one another. But today, I, I want us to look at why, why that's true. It's true because of the, the nature of God's love. And I, I don't know anything that is more comforting for God's people than to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's love. So in terms of the nature of God's love, 
First, what we see here is that God's love is love demonstrated. It's love demonstrated. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. So we're about to get the answer of how his love was made manifest or, or how it was demonstrated. He, he says, this is how it was shown. This is how his love was made manifest, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's how he showed it. That's how and where we must begin. Uh, here, here is Paul's version basically of the same truth. Romans 5 verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the point is, it's not a, a theoretical love. It, it's not just a love because he says, I love you. But it is a, a proven love by his action. Now imagine this. We've just come through Christmas. And uh, imagine that you give a necktie to a friend of yours. Okay, oh, that's a little bit of a weird gift to give to a friend, but I'm just for the, the, my purposes here. Imagine you give a necktie to a friend of yours, and uh, by the way, I didn't mean to offend those of you that did give a necktie to your, to your, your friend, but you, you give it to your friend, and, and he says, <clears throat> oh, a necktie, uh, I, I love this. And so you're pleased, you're, you're happy, and, and so on. And then later in the week, um, you're, you're driving along, and you happen to, to come up, um, and you, you notice that's your friend's car up ahead of you. And evidently, your friend had been to, to Lowe's, and he'd picked up some lumber, and he has, uh, yeah... So, so the lumber's hanging out the, the back of his, his trunk, and on the back of that, you see, you see the necktie the, hanging there. Do you think you'd begin to wonder whether he really did love that tie, or at least whether he saw the real purpose for it? Maybe he loved it for another reason. Well, you know, that's, that's the point here is it's different with God. He doesn't just say, you know, I, I really love you people. He doesn't just say that even over and over. But he demonstrated it. He manifested it. He showed it so that if you were looking, you couldn't question it. In uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in London, I haven't been there, but I, I read about this. In an annex, there's a life-size uh, life uh, marble statue of, of Christ, and he is, he's writhing in anguish on the cross. And 
the statue is subscribed, this is how God loved the world. See, that's it. If we look at at his coming, at his incarnation, at his life, at his death on the cross, at his being put in the grave for us, and then him walking out of the grave for us and ascending to heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father for us. That's how his love is manifested for us. Do you see why then when when there's an application it says because it's manifested then we, we must love one another? What's the argument against that? There is none. Because of his great love he's shown for us. And then secondly, we see that God's love is unconditional. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. His love is not based on anything in or of man. It's not based on our love to him. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved. So God didn't wait to see if if we would love him. Or he didn't look ahead and say, yeah, they would love me back if I loved them. That's not how it worked. That would have been easier. Someone shows you love, it's a lot easier to show love back to them. In fact, sometimes it's hard not to show love back to them. But the scripture indicates that not only did we not love him, mankind hated him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, it says this in verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. This is after John 3, 16, after it talks about Jesus coming into the world and and so on. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's man's natural reaction to God who is light. Man's natural reaction without God first doing something in man, his natural reaction is to hate God. You say, well, I, don't, I, I never hated God even before I was a Christian. Well, God says, I beg to differ. Unless I give you a new heart, you really are not loving God. To hate and and fear him. Back to Romans 5a. 
God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, we were his enemy. Christ died for us. So, so far from being a reason for God uh, loving us, we gave him every reason to loathe us, to hate us, to despise us. We were sinful, depraved. Mankind worshiped other gods. God said, do this one thing, and man's choice is the opposite. So here's what we need to know. Because this is part of the good news, that his love is unconditional. We don't have to get our act together to come to him. It's important that we understand that God's love is unmoved by our reaction to him. His love is entirely from him, and he doesn't owe it to us. Now, sometimes we might have doubts because of finding that hard to believe. Why am I sick? Why am I going through hard times? We need to understand that he never, he never said if you follow Christ, you'll have health or wealth or your life will run smoothly. He just didn't say that. We wished he would. We wished that's how this life would be. But he did promise that, that when you go through these things in life, if you're my child, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am absolutely there with you. And when you go through those things, I, you, I will reveal more of myself to you. It's hard. It's harder. But he'll reveal more of himself. The third thing we see about the nature of God's love is it is initiated completely by him. God's love is initiated completely by him. Verse 7, 10, and 19, I'll just read them back to back. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if you're visiting with us, we've dealt with that word propitiation. We'll hit it again but not today. Suffice it to say that he takes care of our sins. And then verse 19, we love because he first loved us. It's in our passage for next week. We know that if, if it's unconditional and that if in fact, far from loving God, we showed a lack of love toward him, Therefore, it has to be initiated by him. If we're not going to initiate it, if there is to be love toward us from him, 
He's got to initiate it. He first loved us. And it was out of his sovereign will. Go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 7. And it's dealing with some of these same, same questions, and it's speaking of God's people, Israel. Which, by the way, that's children of the living God. That's Christians. We are his people. We are the new Israel. But this is what it says in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. So it's, it's answering the question because there could be the temptation for pride. You know, he chose me. And God wouldn't let his people think it was because they were great. He says, it's not because you were more in number than any other people that he set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Okay, there goes that argument. Verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did God love his people Israel? He loved them because he loved them. Because he's love. And he chose to love them. The only because is because of his nature. It's not because of anything in them, and it's not because of anything in us. As our choir sang today, I choose you. That's just overwhelming. Why? And the the answer is not because of anything in me. It's because of everything that's in him. And that is his love. Think about his nature. The scripture tells us uh, a number of things uh, about who he is. But but let me share with you three things that in some ways are, are parallel. God is spirit. Not he is a spirit. He is spirit. God is light. Not that he's a light. He is light. And God is love. Not that he loves. He is love itself. Love isn't one of his attributes. Love is his very nature. So when he says, you who are my children, love one another because he's in us. That's why it proves if he is in us or not. Because if he is in us, we will love his children. But by way of application, it is also eternal. We've talked about our, our verse of the year, the uh, 
Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's eternal. Jeremiah 31.3, the second part says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It is eternal. It's forever. God himself is eternal. God is love. Therefore, as God himself has no beginning, his love has no end. Ephesians 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Sons through Jesus Christ. Children of the living God. His love has no beginning, it has no ending. His love is for his people as long as he lasts. So we're in good shape. He's from everlasting to everlasting. His love is not going to end. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword no 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 in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. In other words, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For you who are believers, I want you to think just for a a moment about the times that you have felt the most loved by God. Now, we don't, you know, base uh, whether we're loved or not by how how much we feel loved. We've talked about that. But there are times in this life where we really do feel that love. Those moments when when his love demonstrated has been so real that your only response is worship. The only thing I can do is is worship you, Lord. Well, here's what we need to know. That's, That's only a small taste. It's only a fleeting glimpse. It's only a shadow. of what you'll experience forever in eternity. Either after you die or Jesus comes back. It has always been a sadness to me when I've seen believers, real believers, who treat the death of a believer 
as if it was the worst thing that could happen. I just got word this morning of uh, one of the elders of the previous church I served who was a real friend. And he went to be with the Lord this morning. And the, the person who texted me, I said, thank you, thank you, God. I'm happy for Lou. And, and you know that I call it their big day when a believer goes to be with the Lord. That's not a euphemism. It's not taking it lightly. Not at all. I, I really believe that. I know that many of you have been to funerals or memorial services where I've shared this about Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus because I share this at every memorial service every, with a family. And we talk about uh, Jesus being at the tomb of this one that he loved, Lazarus. And it says, Jesus wept. And one of the applications of that that I always bring in, that's why I share it at every funeral, is, is he showed us once and for all, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to weep. It wasn't, it wasn't sin. He never sinned. It wasn't a lack of faith. He, he knew there was a resurrection. And yet he wept anyway. And I believe one of the reasons was because of that, that separation and, and, and the pain that, that Lazarus' sisters and friends were going through. But I also believe there could have been another reason that Jesus wept. He knew that Lazarus was already in the presence of the Father. He was about to call Lazarus from the very best place he could be. And he was about to call him from there back to this fallen world where Lazarus would again have to deal with the ravages of what sin has done to this world. And Lazarus would then someday have to get sick and die again. I have to wonder. Could that have been another reason Jesus wept? For those of you that have lost those that you love, that love Jesus in this life, who are already with him, experiencing now, as much as you miss them, I know that, that you wouldn't want to pull them back away from that, from the presence of Christ. God's love was demonstrated for us. It was un unconditional and initiated by him. Our response? Respond by loving him and loving one another. That's what John says true believers will do. Let's bow together.
Lord, thank you for your deep and abiding love. We haven't begun, we haven't even begun today to scratch the surface of how deep it is. But Lord, will you teach us more of it every day? To know how much you love us. And and in those moments where Satan would want us to doubt that, for us to gaze upon the cross of Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and to know that's how God so loved the world. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.